the fire, and the end of the spear will catch you up to speed, as well as the book through Gates of Splendor will help you see that. If you notice that, one of those killers baptized who killed Nate Saint, then became a Christian, church leader, and baptized the son of the man that he killed. Pretty wild stuff, isn't it? We sometimes to accomplish and fulfill our ministry requires suffering, requires sacrifice. And that's what we're going to see today. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. I didn't get the memo that everybody's going to show up today. All on the same day. Let me encourage you to continue to do that. Keep showing up on the same day. And uh, we'll make arrangements for that. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. We're, going to talk, we're in the middle of a series about making your mark. I hope you're here this morning, and there's a variety of reasons of why you're here, and, and a variety of needs in your heart, but this idea that every one of us has an inbuilt desire to make our mark for eternity. Every one of us wants to leave a legacy and know that when we take our dying breath, which could be today, or it could be 50 years from now, that when we take that last breath, we know my life counted, and it didn't just count for a career, it didn't just count for a paycheck, it didn't just count for the American dream, it didn't just count for putting my kids through college, but it counted for the kingdom of God. So we're trying to learn to do that, and we're studying these 12 individuals, if you look at your Bibles, Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18, Paul identifies 12 individuals. And what these individuals are teaching us is how to make our mark for eternity. And we've studied three of them thus far, and you can see them at the top of your notes. We're following in the footsteps of men like a guy by the name of Archippus, who's found in verse 17 of Colossians 4. And, and what he taught us was this, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. So to make sure we're all together and, and so today, let's say that together. Fulfill your ministry. And we learn from him that we're saved to serve. We're saved to serve, not sit, sour, and soak. But we're saved to serve and everyone's given a ministry by their master to fulfill. The question is not, should I serve? The question is, will I continue to serve and fulfill my ministry? And the next guy gave us the very essential quality, Tychicus, guy by the name of Tychicus. These guys all had wonderful names. He taught us become trustworthy. You know, the most fundamental thing to finishing well is you've got to become trustworthy. And we learn from him this principle, that you've got to stay on track as a Christ follower over time. And over time, you'll build a track record of trustworthiness. Now, for today, upstairs, Pastor Bruce is going to start a series, Fan or Follower. And he's going to go over the purpose of our church. He's going to go over that same track that we looked at last two weeks ago. And so if you'll stick with this series, go upstairs, stick with that series, you're going to stay on track. You, at the end of that, you commit yourself to what you're going to learn in the weeks to come. You're going to become trustworthy, and that's the key to fulfilling your ministry. Last week, we looked at Onesimus. And the principle we learned from him was be reconciled with your past. Be reconciled with your past. So turn to your neighbor and say, did you lose your luggage last week? Did you lose your luggage last week? I hope you did. Now we talked about some pretty heavy things last week. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about asking.
asking for forgiveness. We talked about giving forgiveness. And we talked about being forgiving. Because you can always be reconciled to your past. Even if those who sin against you don't stop sinning. Even if those who you sinned against refuse to forgive you, you can still be reconciled to your past. The key is you've got to be forgiving to them like Christ was forgiving to you when you were still shaking your fist in the face of God. We talked about some heavy things that might be very hard to forget, right? Remember, Aaron? You and I, we, 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 we talked about that. But you know what? Someone came up to me, and I asked permission to share this. One of our class members came up, a dear lady, that one of the sweetest people you could imagine in our church. And she began to tell me about being violated as a young lady. Mother dying, being adopted, and her adopted father violated. She proceeded to tell that story. I'm telling you the things we talked about last week. Anything can be forgiven. And anyone can be forgiven because Christ died for all sin. This lady today serving in our church, sweet, hurt, yeah, there's some wounds there that will not be healed this side of heaven. You want to be best buddies with this man who's now dead? No. She has a forgiving heart. And that's why she's serving. That's why she's sweet. And that's why she's an encourager of me. One of the biggest encouragers I have. So I wanted to share that with you because these lessons aren't just lessons. This is life-changing truth. And someday we're going to stand before God and all our excuses for not getting rid of our baggage, for not fulfilling our ministry, are going to be wiped out, one, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But also by a host of witnesses who will stand up and say, that was your excuse? Let me tell you what happened to me. And God has proven faithful. I, I wanted to share that with you because it, it was powerful. Well, here's the deal. If you're ever going to ask forgiveness, if you're ever going to give forgiveness, if you're going to be reconciled to your past, if you're going to be trustworthy, if you're going to fulfill your ministry, then you've got to learn to do what Aristarchus did, and that's what we're going to learn about today, and that is surrender your rights. Anybody want to get up? I mean, you're like, I, I, you know, Kobe. Today, okay, of all days, you're here, okay? <laughs> Surrender your rights. Okay, we'll see how we can empty you next week, you know. We'll see how we come back. All right, let's take a look at this. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 4. We're going to meet Aristarchus. Colossians 4, verse 10. Paul's, uh, he's talked about the two guys that delivered these letters, Tychicus and Onesimus. Now he's talking about people that are surrounding him, that minister with him, that are on his ministry team, and they're greeting the church at Colossae. And here's what it says, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Okay, you know you're in trouble when Paul says, you're my fellow prisoner. Okay, so that's all. That's what we're talking about today. Aristarchus, this is all we got to go on today. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, we'll talk about him next week, maybe. Concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice... Now notice, here's one more reference to Aristarchus as well as the other two men. These are the only men of the circumcision. That means they're Jewish. These are the only Jewish men 
among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So here's what Aristarchus is going to do. We're going to follow in his footsteps, and we're going to learn this principle about making your mark. Surrender your rights to endure suffering in serving the Lord and others. Surrender your rights to endure suffering in serving the Lord and others. We're going to follow the same pattern. We're going to look at the man who made his mark, and then we're going to look at how he made his mark. So let's take a look at a man who made his mark, a man by the name of Aristarchus. What kind of name is that? It means this. It's a Greek name, a Jewish man with a Greek name, and here's the name. Here's what it means. Best ruler or the best of rulers. The best ruler or the best of rulers. That's a high-sounding name, is it not? Hi, what's your name? Oh, hi. I'm Chris. What are you? Who are you? Hey, I'm the best of rulers. I'm the best leader you're ever going to meet, okay? Now, this is a common name back then. I guess a lot of people wanted to feel important, so they named their, their, their sons this. It's very likely, though, that all five mentions, it's only mentioned five times in the Bible, and, and this is what you've got to watch out when you study uh, biblical characters in the Bible. Not everybody with the name is the same person, but in this case, all five mentions is the same guy. He's a Jew with a Greek name. Why? Because he's, we're going to see, he lives in Greece. So he's far from Israel. He's a Jew that's over in Greece, in Thessalonica. And just like immigrants that come to this country, rather than using his Jewish name to identify with the culture, he would pick a Greek name, and that Greek name was Best Ruler. The Best of Rulers. Now, a name like Aristarchus gives one the impression of power, possession, Privilege and position, honor, and high esteem. I, I am the best ruler. He might have even been part of the ruling class. Do you realize this name Aristarchus? It sounds like our English word, and it's related to the English word aristocracy. Aristocracy. You know, the, the fat cats. The high-sounded people. The big-time people. Well, perhaps, perhaps Aristarchus, as we're going to see in a moment, came from that kind of privileged position. And I just want to say this point. I really thought about this. You see, sometimes the past that we have to be reconciled with in order to serve Christ is not a painful one. It's a privileged one. See, sometimes it's not your baggage that's keeping you from serving Christ. It's all the comforts of being an American. It's being privileged. It's having influence. It's having comfort. It's having a title. And we're not willing give those things up like we saw these men in the video in order to serve Christ. He's only mentioned five times, three times by Luke and Acts, two times by Paul and Colossians and Philemon. Now that's fitting because Aristarchus spent almost his entire life serving with two men, Paul and Luke. Pretty good company. It's estimated, and I have this in your notes, that Paul served with as many as 41 people by the time, from the time he got saved to the time he died, 41 names found in Scripture. That's a lot of interrelatedness. But out of those 41 names, 26 were short-term, 5 were medium-term, you know, with him for a medium amount of time, but 10 of them were long-term dudes that hung with him for most of his life. Out of those 10 men, the top 4 men, you could probably name 2 of them, you probably named three of them. Timothy, Titus, Luke, but you know who number four is? Aristarchus. Aristarchus. You probably wouldn't have thought that. I wouldn't have thought that. Who are the top four men that hung with Paul 
and ministered with him the longest, Luke or Timothy, Titus, Luke, and Aristarchus. Uh, Titus for, was associated with him for as many as 25 years. Timothy, 19. Luke, 18. Aristarchus, more than likely, 17 years. Now, when you hang with Paul for 17 years, you know where you spend most of it? In prison. In prison. Paul with friends like you, who needs him? Right? Now, the only co-workers who spent more time with Paul than Aristarchus were Timothy, Titus, and Luke. We're going to see this morning how a surrendered life endures suffering to serve others. Let me even go this far. I, I, I didn't want to write it this way because us Americans can't handle this kind of talk. A surrendered life embraces suffering to serve others. A you, you don't spend 17 years with Paul. You aren't his fellow prisoner unless you're willing to embrace suffering for something higher than your comfort. That's what we're going to... I mean, listen, Aristarchus, Aristarchus worked me over. I'm going to let him work you over. Okay? A surrendered life is willing to endure suffering. The very first time we meet him, he's called a traveling companion of Paul. Now, that's deceptive. Okay, hey, what, you know, if, if, if a guy like Paul comes to you and says, you want to be my traveling companion? What are we thinking? We're thinking first class, right? We're thinking, let's go to Disney World. Let's go visit Europe. Let's go have a good time. Of course, we'll share Christ along the way, but let's go. No, that's not, you don't travel first class with Paul. You don't go to the nice places with Paul, and yet he went. This man very well may have been born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And he walked away from it to serve his master, even if he had to sacrifice and suffer much to make his mark. So we're going to look at five times in Scripture. Let's, here, here's kind of the outline of his life. First of all, he gets saved. We've learned all through this principle. You can't make your mark until you get saved. And he was saved in the midst of severe persecution in Thessalonica. This is a man from Thessalonica. And if you want to hear, read that story, and I would encourage you to do it. Go to Acts chapter 17 and verses 1 through 9. And, and, and I'm going to read this to you because I want, to, I want to give you just a little bit of this background. Because from day one, this guy got saved in the midst of severe persecution. Listen to the story. It's Acts 17. You can read along in your Bibles, verses 1 through 9. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. But more than likely, um, Aristarchus is in the synagogue, worshiping as a good Jew, and in comes this guy, Paul. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and he, in verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, you just stop right there. See, this is what we miss. Oh, yeah, Christ died for me. Yeah, but if Christ died for me and I'm going to follow him, then that means I'm going to die too. It is necessary for him to suffer. Do you think it's any less necessary for us? See, we forget that gospel message. We think it's all good news, but there's some bad news in it too, that the cross comes before the crown. It's rooted in the gospel. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and then to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Remember, these Jews are looking for the Christ, and they're saying, Here he is. Yeah, but I want one that the 
brings in the kingdom. I want one that gives me comfort. I want one that's a conqueror. No, he's a sufferer before he's a conqueror. Do you want him? And Aristarchus said, yeah, I want him. That's the truth. That's the gospel. I want him. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. There you go. He was among them. As did a great many devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Perhaps one of the leading women was his mother and named him Aristarchus. I don't know. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. There's always those guys around. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, uh, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I'm telling you, what a great... Listen, turning the world upside down happens one person at a time. Paul preached the gospel, and a very privileged, probably very privileged, prominent individual by the name of Aristarchus had his world turned upside down. His values turned upside down. His priorities... And what he was willing to suffer to, to make his mark. I, I, I love this story. They've turned the world upside down and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Saying there is another king, Jesus. See, this is what you got to get into in the story. From day one, Aristarchus received a gospel that had suffering and not just the bliss of heaven. From day one, he received a savior who was also a king. You see, surrendering your rights doesn't happen sometime in the future or as an optional way for the Christian life. Surrendering your rights is what you did when you got saved, if you're truly born again. King Jesus kind of weird for us in election year to think about that, but Jesus isn't our president and we can vote in and out. He's our king. And when we place our faith in him, we're surrendering not only our sins to him, but our lives to him. This is some heavy stuff. Well, these Thessalonican Jews were so mob-hateful to the gospel, they chased them out of town. And more than likely, Aristarchus went with Paul and Timothy, as they were going to see in a moment, and he never looked back. Never looked back. Okay. If you go to 1 Thessalonians, uh, that's Luke's version. Remember, he hung out with Luke and Paul. Luke's version is in Acts. Paul's version of what happened is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you hear Paul's view of what it was like on the day that Aristarchus got saved and the church of Thessalonica was planted. And I just want to read a little bit of this. And here's what he says. He says in verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, And you became imitators of us and the Lord. And of the Lord. (coughs) What did he imitate in Paul and Timothy? That was also an imitation of the Lord. For you received the word in much what? Affliction. You received the word. Are, are, are you seeing? I'm, I'm taking the time, and it's killing me. But I'm taking the time to set you a platform. That this guy's life, from the moment he got saved, involved suffering. You received the word in much 
affliction. And you know what, to be honest with you, if you know Jesus is your Savior this morning, it's because you were in a place of affliction and you needed a Savior. You knew that without God's intervention, you weren't going to make it. Here and in the life to come. So I think this is just powerful stuff. But notice, he goes on, he says, so that you become an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia, all throughout Greece, all throughout that part of the world. But not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. And he says, we don't, and, and like a typical preacher, which I can relate to, he says, I don't need to say this, and then he proceeds to say it. And here's what he says, verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and here's how he got saved. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Not from suffering in this life, but from the wrath to come. Now, I, just look at that phrase again. Look at that phrase. Because here's how we, this is how we cut short the gospel. We truncate it. Listen to me. Here's how we say, say Turn to God from idols, and then we put a period there. Look at that verse. There's no period there. There's not even a common there. Listen, the reason we get saved is to serve. Archippus all over again. We get forgiven so that we can fulfill our ministry, our destiny for the Lord. And we wait for the Son to come. Why? Because... Contrary to Joel Osteen, who's coming to town, your best life isn't now. Your best life is the one to come. Your best life is the one. We're waiting for that. And we're going to be delivered from the wrath to come. But listen, between now and then, there's a lot of suffering. So we've got to surrender our rights. All right, there we go. Say, I laid the foundation, now we move. Strap on, here we go. So, he gets saved. He says, hey, you know what? This, this serving thing, this Christianity thing is pretty cool. Can I hang with you, Paul? Paul says, come along. Number two, survived an out-of-control mob in Ephesus. The next time you meet the guy, he's hanging with Paul, and he should have learned in Thessalonica. When Paul preaches, he draws a crowd, all right? They become a mob. So now there's a mob in Ephesus. Well, Paul... He, he's pretty, he's kind of short guy, fleet of foot. He escapes, they grab Aristarchus and a guy by the name of Gaius. And they drag him into the theater of Ephesus. You can, see, you can go and visit that place if, I, if we, you can see pictures of him. Think of being drugged in the middle of Arrowhead Stadium with an angry mob. Acts 19. Saved in the midst of severe persecution, barely survives a riot, uh, God intervenes, and uh, the leaders of Ephesus say, look, if we have a riot here, Rome is going to come down on us, get out of here, disperse. They let Archippus, or uh, Aristarchus go. Now, here's my question. If you were Aristarchus, what would you do as soon as you got free? If you were Aristarchus, and you had signed up to serve the Lord, what would you do, and how would you feel? Here's the question of this whole lesson. What, what has it made, what has 
What has it taken to make you quit serving the Lord? What has it taken to prevent you from serving the Lord? Well, he doesn't quit. Next time we see him, he's sent to represent the Thessalonian church. That's the third reference. It's in Acts 20, 3 through 6. He's sent to represent the Thessalonian church in Jerusalem. He's listed right there with Tychicus, like we saw a couple weeks ago. And all I want to say here is, he was entrusted by the church at Thessalonica to carry the funds to the church at Jerusalem. He was like Tychicus, he was trustworthy. He was like Archippus, saved to serve. He was like Tychicus, trustworthy. The only problem is when they got to Jerusalem, what happened to Paul? He was arrested. Now, do you see a pattern? Are you, are you, are you seeing a pattern? Every time this guy serves, what's he encounter? Suffering. Suffering. What would you do if you were him? How would you feel when the guy gets arrested? So he not only gets arrested, but Paul says, I want to be tried in Rome. Are you nuts? If you lose this trial in Rome, you know what that means? What would you do if you were Aristarchus? How would you feel? And I'd be saying, Paul, I would be the classic Christian. Be praying for you, brother. Be praying for you, brother. But I, I've got some family duties. I've got a business that I've got to run. I've, I've got, I'll be praying for you. Hope that turns out well in Rome. No, what happens? He gets on a ship with Paul, and he sails to Rome. The only problem is what happens on the ship? It gets shipwrecked, number four. Fourth reference to him. He is shipwrecked by storms at sea and stranded on the island of Malta. Can it get any worse than this? Man, I, you know, I thought mobs were bad. Okay, we went on a cruise, and we just had some rough waters, and after three days, we couldn't wait to get on land. These guys... 14 days without seeing the sun or the stars. 14 days, and you don't eat when the ocean is like that. And besides, they couldn't eat anything because they threw everything overboard just trying to get the ship to stay up. So they're stranded. And then and so here's what happens. Everybody overboard. Our only chance is to swim to the island. If you can't swim, grab a piece of wood. Everybody over. And off they go. They land on the island of Malta, and they stay there for three months. And then, this, this is recorded for you, Acts 27 through Acts 28, verse 14. So, two chapters of the Bible. I mean, this, this is better than any action movie. In fact, Pastor Bruce did a series on it called The Perfect Storm. Now, here's how it ends. I, I love the Bible. Here's Acts 28, 14. And so we came to Rome. That's how it ends. And so we came to Rome. Luke, Paul, Aristarchus. How would you feel? What would you do? Paul, I got you here. Good luck with Caesar. This is getting crazy. Next time we see him is in Colossians. And the reference in Philemon. And he's shackled. He is shackled with Paul. He is shackled with him in prison. Now, listen, you got it. I'm doing everything. God, I need your help. To get this across to us 
in these comfy little chairs in this air-conditioned room in this country where the middle class is defined as 200,000 and more a year. It's very hard to relate to them. Basically, the way Aristarchus became the fellow prisoner of Paul was the same way he got on that ship. You see, Caesar didn't give out free tickets to Rome. The reason Luke and Aristarchus was able to get on that ship with Paul is they voluntarily became Paul's slaves. And if you had slaves, you could then bring those slaves with you when you were a prisoner. So these guys are not only slaves of Christ, they're slaves of Paul. They're like, hey, I'll be your slave. I'll be seen as less than I really am. I'm willing to serve Christ, and if that means serving you, I'll serve you. Not only that, but when you are changed to a Roman guard 24-7, that's what happened. He's in a rented house. He's under house arrest, chained to a guard 24-7. He says, I will be chained with you so that I can serve you and help you get the gospel out even while you are in prison. And you've got to understand, for Luke and Aristarchus to do this, they're not just freely, hey, hanging with Paul as he's chained with this guy. Two of them could overpower one guard who is chained to a guy. Do you know what this means? More than likely, historians say, they were chained to a guard too. They were chained in some way too. Would you do that? Would I do that? Aristarchus did that. Now the question becomes, was he a literal prisoner in chains or a spiritual captive of Christ? The question is, is he really changed? And, and, and there's so much here I could talk about, but really it becomes immaterial because i got two points there and I want, you, I want to hit them for you. And here they are. Ministry is the result of becoming and living as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ministry is the result of becoming and living as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, becoming Christ's slave or his servant or his soldier, all these pictures are used, always means voluntarily losing one's rights in order to serve Christ in his church. See, more at the deepest meaning of my fellow prisoner is this. I want to introduce you to Aristarchus. He's a guy like me. He's become a prisoner of Christ the moment he got saved, and he surrendered his rights to live his life in order to serve Christ in others. Alright? But, notice number two. Prison should only be the result of becoming and living as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if, if we go to prison as Christ followers, it should be because we are so radical in our love for Jesus that it becomes against the law. And we're headed that way in our culture. We're headed that way in our country. So here's the deal. It, becoming Christ's slave, servant, soldier always means voluntarily losing our rights to Christ, but it sometimes means involuntarily losing our rights by serving Christ. And so we just don't know. We, 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 and in the end, it doesn't matter. We know Aristarchus didn't break the law. And we know he was sold out for Christ. And the bottom line is, sometimes being sold out for Christ 
requires more sacrifice and more suffering than what we realize. That's the love. Okay. Now, just how far does surrendering our rights go? See, this is kind of kind of like Aaron's comment last week. Okay, just how far does this go, Chris? Well, it's already gone farther than I've ever experienced and want to go. And are, 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 anybody here got saved in the midst of a mob? Has anyone, sir, you know, any of you want it? Now, you want it, people probably have. You have many riots every Wednesday. I understand. I understand that. I, I, I went to the, the WANA training with uh, Randy's team. and was just so blessed. And speaker, great speaker. He said this. He said, and boy, the heads were shaking. And they, they were the, there was agreement, not only from our team, but from all the people there. He said, you know, in WANA, sometimes ministry happens to you. <laughs> Meaning, you come with your plans and your, your, your goals, and then... You know, an hour and a half later, you're like, whoa, what hit me? You know, uh, tells me, you know, I always lock up on Wednesdays, and her and Becky are the last ones out. And, and they're, they're, they, always, uh, they always resign every Wednesday. And, uh, and, and Dewana says, don't worry, we'll, we'll sign back up tomorrow. And they do. Sometimes ministry happens to you. Just how far does surrendering our rights go? Number six. The last... Record we have is not biblical. I don't know if this is the correct, uh, true, but tradition says that Aristarchus was slain by Emperor Nero. Slain by Emperor Nero in Rome. Now this makes sense because you know who else got his head cut off by Nero? The Apostle Paul. You hang with the Apostle Paul, you go through mobs because he goes through mobs. You hang with him and you get shipwrecked because he's shipwrecked. And you go to jail with him because he's in jail. And if he gets beheaded, you're probably going to get beheaded too. And so they say that this man surrendered his rights because he surrendered the ultimate right. What's the ultimate right? <coughs> it's in our council or declaration of interest, right? Life, liberty. Life, liberty. You see, if we're not careful, we begin to think that that is what getting saved is about. God guarantees me life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And in some churches, and with some preachers, as the man coming in September will tell you, that is true in their mind. But when you look at the scriptures, God promises life, but it requires death. He promises his liberty, but we need to become fellow prisoners. He promises happiness, but it requires holiness. Only different message. Only different message. See, he may have had a privileged past, and he may have been born into a ruling class, but he surrendered his rights to a privileged life and was willing to suffer in serving the Lord and others. I'm telling you, I feel even unworthy, not only in light of my Lord, but even be doing this in front of the Schmitz. And I know they don't do it, but I'm just telling you, what they're planning to do, where they're planning to go, I'm unworthy. So I'm way preaching beyond my experience. But I pray by God's grace it's not beyond my commitment. So, Jim Elliott, we saw in the video, sums it up best. Aristarchus lived it. Elliot just happened to journal it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So here's the question. 
How did Aristarchus make his mark in spite of so much suffering and so many sacrifices? The answer is a two words, a surrendered life. A surrendered life. A surrendered life. A surrendered life will empower you to embrace suffering and serving the Lord. Listen, how I, I, how did this guy do this? 17 years he did this, and more than likely ended with his life cut off. He surrendered his life so he could suffer and sacrifice in serving the Lord. Now, and, and you know what? I, it's beautiful. There's so many angles with this. It's unbelievable. The Aristarchus learned what Jesus taught, that the best ruler is the servant of God. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Aristarchus understood that the best ruler doesn't hang on to his rights. He surrenders them and serve others. Now, how do you do this? Number two, how do you make your mark in this way? Surrender your rights in order to embrace suffering. Surrender your rights in order to embrace suffering, not to be a masochist. It says, oh, I suffer. You know, there's religions based on this. The more you suffer, the more godly you are. No, I serve others, and if it requires suffering, that's okay, because I've already released my right. Now, I see five things, and I'm just going to hit these. I'm going to hit them. I want to show you a video at the end. Here's what you got to do. Here's what I learned from Aristarchus this week. Number one, you've got to see salvation as total surrender. Not just a one-time event in the past. Oh, I got that done. Now I'm going to go cut the grass. See what I'm saying? It's total surrender. And, and, and you've got to get out of the idea that somehow living a surrendered life is optional. I'll get to that after I make my career. I'll get to that after I raise my kids. I'll get to that after I... Provide for retirement. I'll get to that. And if I don't get to that, Jesus is okay with that. Really? Become imitators of him who, for whom it was necessary to suffer and rise again. 1 Thessalonians 1 9. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to serve for him while you wait for his son from heaven, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Number two, a surrendered life begins to see suffering as a necessary part of salvation and service. As a necessary part of salvation and service, this side of the kingdom of God. Now, again, some religions will tell you, Catholicism is one of them, that you suffer, you have to suffer to earn your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what it teaches is this. Once you become identified with Christ, you go through what he went through, and that is the cross comes before the crown. we got to get out of this idea that the Christian life, as the smiling preacher says, you know, you avoid suffering. You don't avoid suffering. In fact, you embrace it because you know that through it, God is going to show himself great in your weakness. You became imitators of us, Paul said, and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So we're not talking about being, you know, 
Oh, praise God. Join me in following Jesus. It's so much fun. We suffer a lot. No. It's like, you're going through what I'm going through. You've lost a loved one. You've got the same boss I do, but you come to work every day with a joy. And you are always looking on the positive side, and you're always looking to serve others. You're not a whiner and a complainer around the break room. You're going through what I go through, but you go through it differently. What's the deal with that? More, more, more. Number three, you see the storms of life as opportunities to prove God's sovereign care and as tests to stay on track. Man, I'm telling you, Pastor Bruce did a whole series on this. There's so much there. There's so much there. The shipwreck storm. You know, Paul, these guys aren't eating. You know, they're not eating. 14 days, upset stomach. And he's like, let's pause for a moment here and thank God for our food. God's going to take, he, he, he's communing with God. He's taking care of everybody on the ship. He's telling the guy how to run the ship and how God's going to protect them. Listen. I, my heart breaks for how many of us, when the storms come, we bail on God. We bail. We bail. We isolate. We isolate. Instead, you need a surrendered life says, I, I hurt too much to go to church, and I'm going to go to church anyway. My heart is breaking and racing a thousand other areas, but I'm going to go and submit myself under the Word of God because God's sovereign in this. And I'm going to be where I need to be. Finally, number four, see surrendering your rights to the Lord Jesus Christ as liberating and empowering. See it as liberating and empowering. I know there's three messages in one here, but this is, man, Aristarchus, it's just so great. So I got, I see the liberation is listed there. But I want to stop, oh, sorry, Audrey. I want to uh, I want to show you this. What you're gonna see here you get the light. What you're about to see is called the next chapter. Remember that little boy, Nate Saint's son, who was baptized, grew up, went back to his dad's killers who are now Christians, and used his gifts and talents in order to create little car-pedaled airplanes in order to get into the villages, into the jungle, in order to share the gospel. That's what he gave his life to. Working hand-in-hand with the men who killed his father, but who, who got rid of their baggage and were reconciled to their past and are now fulfilling their ministry. Well, here's his next chapter. Take a look. It was a week ago at iTech. We like to experiment with different things. That's why we've been able to invent the things we have. This experiment actually worked better than I expected. You know, it was just a safety strap that broke. And the next thing I knew, people were talking around me. And I saw puppies, clouds in this little window. And then I saw 
helicopter blades going through the window, and I realized I was in a medevac hel helicopter on my way to Shan's Hospital in Gainesville, near where our high-tech R&D center is in Dunellen. I can tell you, I've never felt this helpless before. And the pain and the fear of drowning in my own saliva, you know, my compassion for paraplegics, wow. And, and I knew respect for doctors and nurses and my sweet wife, Jenny, and all my caregivers. Here's the update. I'm scheduled for surgery tomorrow to try to relieve the pressure on my spinal cord that is keeping me from moving. Actually, this is, this is a week's worth of work, and people tell me that's, that's pretty good. I know there's a lot of things I'm going to have to learn over again, and some of them have to re-relearn. You know, one of the big things that just having people show me where my hand is, people say, lift your hand, and I think it's on one side of the bed, and then it turns out it's on the other side of the bed. How in the world can anybody move a hand that's in the wrong place? How to walk again, how to move my fingers. Well, I'll tell you what. In these last six days, I have been through more pain than I ever imagined possible. But you know what the amazing and encouraging thing to me is? But honestly, not one time have I wondered or wanted to ask God why this happened. You know, when we were interviewing Aunt Barbara Udarian for Beyond the Gates of Splendor, one of the guys that I took down to the jungle said, Barbara, here you were out in the jungles, a young mother, a young wife, had your whole life ahead of you, and then one day you find out that when your husband flew up and they seemed to make contact with another people group that they had killed them. Your whole life had changed. And then what he said is, I just gotta know, Barbara, when you ask God why, what did he say? You know what her answer was? Her answer was, well, yeah, I guess it just never occurred to me to ask him why. And I just thought, how in the world do you get to that kind of point in life where you don't even ask God why when your whole life turns upside down? And now look, it's happened to me. You know, I know that God has compassion on his people, whether they know they're his or not and he wants to have a relationship with them. And I think that if we're going to tell the world about Jesus, then we're going to have to do it in new and creative ways. That's what I've gotten to do over the last years. But let me invite you, if God is prompting you to get out there and get involved in the fray, then please do it. And if you've been looking for a place to find a home, 
in ministry, let me suggest Team Hitech. If you feel like you're all thumbs, <laughs> come on, join the crowd. I'm there too. If God's asking you to do something, I'll get out a newsletter or give so other people can go. I'm inviting you to be a part of iTech if you don't already have a ministry. Let's give them everything. No hopes barred. Nothing held back. You know, the only expectations to give them what we have. So I guess that's not very much. Certain points in our life. It's enough. Thanks. life is